Hello, everyone. It's a fantastic Thursday, and I am joined you by a fantastic guest that I've known for a long time throughout the industry. This is the first time, though, we're actually talking on video. Maybe one day we'll get to meet in person with a lockdown easing. But I am joined here with the fantastic Karen Hugel, who is a career coach, a mentor, an executive coach at Sleeping Giant Consulting, and someone that I've been closely following for the last few years when she set up her fantastic and well-renowned and acclaimed business. But before that, Karen has a, a, a great background in the architecture industry as a CAD manager and consultant. So uh, you have worked in many architecture practices before. Karen, it's so good to have you here today. How are you? It's so good to be here. Thank you very much for having me. And it's, it's, it's nice to be talking to you, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're both real people, aren't we? It's, we're not just floating around on LinkedIn as it would yeah, feel this right. year. See you lots online. We bump into each other lots online. But talking, it's like, well, accents. We've got accents. This is, you know. Yeah, I know. And also, obviously, we've had some nice messages in between. And I think you have a fantastic sense of humor. So my kind of person to get onto the podcast. But Karen, let's explain to everyone what the sleep and giant is. Because we could talk about, you know, what brought you to that point. But obviously, you've been doing some amazing stuff. With Reba, I think like the Reba Future Architects program and stuff. So, what is Sleeping Giant Consulting? It's me. It's just me. Yay! But that's me, good. We like me. you. <laughs> it's that's me. Great. Can I can I explain how I got there? Because that kind yes. of explains why. Because I was sitting in, I was working actually for as a consultant, a BIM consultant at the time, and I was in John McAslan Architects at the time. I was going in weekly as there consultant actually and it was during the recession and it was a really very interesting time in the industry and loads of places were letting people go and you know I was going into multiple you know different a different firm every day so I could just see the tension and I could see you know people coming up to me and going oh I might be on the red list soon I might have to leave you know I can't take a holiday I have to I have to work 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 kind of thing I might it was a really interesting time. And it was a time where I was valued as a BIM consultant because that was seen as like the thing that was going to be the cutting edge and that that was going to get you the next job and the really uncertain yeah. time of change kind of thing. So it was like, you know, they weren't getting rid of me. <laughs> they were just getting rid of the staff kind of thing. Mm. And I suddenly realized after talking to these people, and I'd been working at John McCaslin for years, so I had a good relationship there. And, and I realized that I cared more about the people than I did about the technology at that right. point. You know, I had one of those careers that I kind of fell into, you know, not so much intention as that's where I should go. And yeah. that was the point when I said, how can I work more with the architects about helping them, especially in that time of uncertainty and change and helping them transition through all of that and work through their feelings mm. how can I kind of do that when all I've done is CAD and BIM and all the technical side of architecture how, you know and it took me another yeah. year after that kind of epiphany to kind of go okay well I you know I need to do something but I'm not sure I didn't know what it was I need to do something else and I I um I left my consultancy firm and I started working with a business developer 
Um, And I thought at first that he might help me, mentor me and helping me find this next step in my career. But we ended up working together. I ended up mentoring small businesses, which was a great break from the architectural industry. So went from consulting to kind of the mentoring. And then someone said, have you tried coaching? And I went, oh, what's that? (laughs) Oh, that's not where you tell people what to do. It's where you listen (laughs) and help them come to their own solutions. And I, you know, I kind of went on this two-day course and I went, well, this is, you know, where they try and sign you up at the end of the two days or whatever. Oh, really? One of of those kind of 200 people in a room and they try to sign you on the dotted line. I was like, this is really interesting this weekend. It's opened my eyes. But if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm like many architects like that. If you're going to do it, you have to kind of aim for that bit of perfection. (laughs) Um, So I kind of took myself on a a coaching journey and went on a went on a proper course. And that was one thing that I didn't really want to do. I didn't want to retrain. I didn't (laughs) didn't want to learn Mm. anything new. Kind of start again. But you know, I didn't want to own my own business. But but those are all things that I did anyway. So that's when I thought. That's when I thought. I can't go back into the industry as a consultant. I can't tell the architects what to do anymore. I have to go back in and coach. I have to go back in with a completely different mindset of helping architects. You know, I think about they are the solution in the room. It's within them. How can I help them get to the next step? How can I be their sounding board? How can I help them on their career journey? Because I really want to see them do the best they can, be the best people mm. that they can. Amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's really interesting because there's a lot of parallels. One, because in, in my career, I was working in an architectural practice as well. And I, I went on a bit of a different journey. I ended up going into recruitment because I kind of liked the idea of talking to people. And, and, and for instance, I wanted to do something different. I really wanted to do something different. And I kind of felt a bit lost at the time in, in the role of um, a part two architectural system. And so I was like, you know what, I'll just go off and do something else. But I really resonate to, you, you know, the passion that you have for people. And I think that's amazing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's coaching is a bit of an interesting one. And I think it's a timely topic because I've started doing a bit of coaching, Karen. Now you have been doing it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, look, you're, you are the real deal and I admire what you do and it's amazing. And so I do a little bit of coaching as well. And it is not it's I, I get it that you, you've really, first of all, you've got to be passionate about it, haven't you? Because you're and you've got to, as you say, you've got to really listen to people. So and it does require a level of commitment. But I love what you said that actually people make their own decisions. Coaching isn't necessarily about they come see you for an hour and you go, OK, like a doctor, you go, yep, 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 yep. And go on their way. It, that totally doesn't work. And I've learned quite quickly that it's listening and my understanding of it is that you, you you talk with the person. Key thing is listening, as you said, and then you hopefully they come to their own conclusions and you kind of you oh, challenge yeah. that ideology a little bit and you nurture it. That's my understanding. And I'm not and someone that hasn't done it properly. What was it like when you started doing it, Karen? And what and how, how do you kind of go about it now if someone comes to you at Sleeping Giant? When I first started, I reached back to all my old contacts of people I'd known for at least five years, I think. And I said, hey, I'm now a coach and I need some clients. You want to come on this journey with me? And a couple of them said, said, yes, we'd love to kind of thing. And and I look back on it now and I I think the main thing that I remember about that time is the – 
I had to really try and control that urge to give advice, like right. really, really difficult. And I and I and I ended up being able to do it in the session with a client of of, of not jumping in and going, oh, I know how to do this, and oh, you should do that. But I would save it all up, and I'd get to the end, and then at the end of the session, I'd let it all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. kind of so it wasn't really working that well you know I could do it for a little so it took me you know at least the kind of the first you know 100 to 200 hours of doing this to kind of really get a rein on it's not about me it's all about you yeah. kind of thing it's yeah. a lot of practice to really kind of listen yeah, it's, in- so. it's interesting. And so I think that what's important distinction here, because in terms of what you do or coaching and consulting, there's an element, I'm sure, where you're helping, as you said, the architectural professionals, mm-hmm. you're doing that. But what's really interesting and something I haven't touched upon yet is I'm sure you've been involved with businesses and that's a totally different set of skills that you have to do as well. But I'm sure it's equally exciting. So have you got involved with many architectural practices and stuff on the business side and uh, have you found that a rewarding experience where you've learned a lot as well? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, the, I think that the split between who I work with are those who are sole practitioners. Right. Um, and, and smaller firms. And then, uh, and that's, yeah, half the people I work with. Mm. And then the other half are the, are the architects and the larger firms because uh. they're completely different game of what yeah. the two are talking about so when i'm working with the smaller businesses um, or even the leaders of a larger organization and it gets a bit more strategic kind of you know, you know it's kind of looking a lot more at the bigger picture mm. um, especially when you're talking to sole practitioner architects it's more about look we know you're so stuck in the day-to-day element of doing all the all the work and all the meetings that you don't have time to look at your business so we've this is it. This is the time now when we can pull you out and go, right, what's happening with the next six months? What have you got on your calendar? How are you need? And I think having run my own businesses, you know, mm. companies for um, as a consultant and now this one has given me that, that good, a good grounding and kind of knowing what that, what's that like, what the challenges are like kind of thing. So, yeah. Mm, well, well, it makes it makes complete sense, and I think that, um, yeah, it's a it's a totally different set of obstacles. What what's interesting? So I've recently joined um, an architectural practice called Acro Lowry. So I work, I help them on on the recruitment front. But it's really interesting being involved in that practice at this size because there are about twenty five people now, and and they actually accelerated. They grow. Um, they grew from like fifteen people wow. during the pandemic to twenty five, and so. Where it's it's interesting seeing the the practice at that journey, and as you said, there's a lot of decisions growing at the moment because you you, you when you rapidly accelerate from a smaller practice to a medium now almost to a large, it's it's been really interesting to see. But that's where I can see as well the value of coaching and being involved in that is so that you can especially how practices going through change. Um, it's really really valuable. But I noticed at the moment, then, Karen, you've been involved uh, with Reba and you've been working with them, I think, the Reba Future Architects on the topic of leadership. Now, imagine there's, you can kind of get leadership on both ends of the scales, actually, isn't it? You touched upon, you know, the person in the architectural practice in the big, um, in a big company. And I'm sure there's loads of challenges on leadership there. How do you, how do you get people to follow you and do all this stuff as well as from a business standpoint? 
but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that that topic that you're passionate about and you've been talking on leadership. I'm sure you've seen a lot and you've learned a lot. Yeah, it's been a really, really good um, past six months that are working with the RIBA on the, the, the Future Leaders conference and and you know this is aimed at i think the average age was Amazing. sort of of the participant was kind of um 30 to 45 kind of thing so um cool. if, if i'm right and and they were from more from the larger practices so um you know really kind of that mid-level of architects which is mostly you know the, the, the kind of people who i work with the people who are kind of in that transition between you know, leading themselves to suddenly stepping up and leading a team and how do I manage that and, and, and how do I manage suddenly leading somebody who I thought was my friend kind of thing and being above them and, 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 and how do I manage my time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so when, when I started this, you know, started this work with the RIBA, I thought, gosh, what do I really think about leadership? Have I actually taken myself on a on the a leadership journey and, 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 you know, and I thought, well, I better do this. I better kind of do a bit of reflection here and think about what leadership actually means for me. Um, and I had to think about it and I was like, well, I remember a time when somebody said, oh, you were, you were quite good at leading a team back then, I, you know, and I thought, oh, I didn't know that. I, I you know, was I? Oh, thanks. You know. And then I thought back <laughs> to another time when somebody said to me, you're leading the company in the wrong direction. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was oh, that's a strong one, isn't like, it? Oh, I didn't know I was leading them in any direction, but this is interesting. <laughs> well, Gary, Gary, it might have been someone who didn't feel passionate about Revit or BIM at the time. So I wouldn't take that one personal yeah. just because. And I was thinking, gosh, I've never really thought about. When, we th- when I think about leadership, you always think of somebody ahead of you, you think of somebody fairly senior, you think of somebody out there who's, who's kind of, you know. But when you really start to look at leadership around yourself, it's a whole different ballgame. And I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's go back further. Let's see where yeah. leadership started in my life. And I, I kind of went back further to when I was a teenager. And I told the story there at the RIBA uh, conference where I was, uh, where in 1985, this is how far we're going back. I know most, most of the audience. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was uh, there were um, new there were ships with nuclear weapons in the waters around New Zealand. Okay, and there was the Greenpeace ship, the Rainbow Warrior, which was in the Auckland Harbour, and they were protesting about these nuclear ships, and. Um, these French double agents came over, got themselves on the on the boat, and they they planted a couple of bombs, and they and they uh, and a couple of people died. And that, yeah, and so a really kind of there wow. was this whole spotlight on that time in New Zealand, and it was it was the catalyst for the waters around New Zealand becoming nuclear free. So it was a really big thing, and I was kind of fifteen at the, at the time, and I was like. Um, I'm, I'm going to join Greenpeace. I'm going to join this group. Can I know I come from a family of conservationists, and we were, you know, oh, good for you. Kind of keen about stuff. So I joined Greenpeace, and my first kind of role was when what I think is my first kind of leadership experience was um, was petitioning against the mining in Antarctica. 
I thought, let's just leave one continent without any mining. I'll, I'll just, you know, get a petition and we'll get, you know, 100 signatures. And this is, you know, we didn't have computers these days. It was kind of door knocking. Can you please sign my petition? We don't want mining in Antarctica. And I was a real introvert. This was really stepping out of my comfort zone. And I and my friends thought I was crazy. The principal called me into his office and he said, are you going to bring communism into this school? I was like, what's What's communism? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean? um, <laughs> but I felt really that I was being authentic and had a sense of purpose, and it was strongly kind of aligned with my values and beliefs. So, and, and that's what made it. And it was the, kind mm. of the first time that I was thinking beyond myself. You know, I was kind of making ethical decisions and thinking about the bigger picture. So right. I thought, okay, well, that's kind of where I first started leading. And that's not what I think about when I think about leadership necessarily, mm. but that's kind of, so I think you need to kind of look back and look at the wider experience of leadership in your life and recognize that it's not just at work. It shows up all over. Yeah, that's, I, I, I agree with that as well. And um, it's interesting because so we, our conversation started going through the architecture social. And so that's something I set up during, because uh, I was on furlough, you know, because last year, because you know, architecture industry really, unfortunately, architecture can be oh, like the canaries yeah. in the mines. We're yeah. at the front line because we win work, we build projects, and we're the first on the ripple. And it was the same with with recruitment. And so I got put on furlough, and um, I remember thinking, like, oh man. And I spent a month or two, you know, it's like drinking wine, going on Netflix and stuff. And then in the end, I. Yeah, to take a bit of accountability because I'm because even though I don't do I didn't do I don't practice architecture per se anymore. There's kind of a reason that I went into it, and I think that we all have that part of us. You have it as well with your business and going out there. But I kind of needed to do something, and I set up um, the the architecture social during that time. And so that was kind of nice because it was accountability, and I guess there's a sense of leadership involved in that because. Whenever you're doing like a social enterprise, you have to you have to push it forward, and that was kind of my way of dealing with a tricky situation, um, and you know, trying to, and bringing, I guess, a sense of leadership into it. What I was going to ask you is, is that you must have seen, due to your job, you're well connected. You must have seen a lot of people during this tricky time, and like the way we're there's some good things that have come out of it. Like we're talking on Zoom, and we've met, and we were in the social, and we've had nice conversations. But what did you see last year, Karen? It doesn't have to be directly in your business, but around you. How did you see people respond during that time? And was there any good examples of leadership as well? Maybe some good stories that come out of it as well as the bad? Mm, I think it was a really, really tricky year for a lot of people. And um, there was yeah. a real need for connection. And being able to really yeah. have a place where you could go and talk about what was going on and not, not talk about work necessarily, but just the whole experience of it kind of thing. Um, and, yeah. and we reckon, we recognize that in the woman in architecture committee, which I'm on. So we, we started these kind of lean in groups ah. um, and just doing these kind of, you know, we do one a week. I think we we do quite a lot over over the year, but we we just run these discussions where 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 people were free to come in and just talk 
and go, look, what's going on? I mean, we, we had some certain themes, you know, mm. what's it like working from home? Or can, you know, how's your tech and all that kind of stuff. But generally it was yeah. a time when we all had to kind of recognise that um, we needed to connect more and talk more and be more realistic and not put on any fronts or any kind of, yeah, I'm fine, it's, you know, we yeah. weren't really doing that fine because a lot of people were suffering mentally oh, yeah. quite a lot, I think. And so I really, I think, I have a lot of appreciation for the people who, who went out and kind of tried to pull that community together to talk more about it. Do this, yeah. yeah. I think we're into a new phase now, though. It's like post hangover of COVID, where I reckon that what we'll see is this like, there's a sense of everyone wants to meet, which is a little bit frustrating because mm -hmm. we have the, the Delta virus at the moment, the Delta strain or whatever. But I, I actually predict, Karen, that. Um, so it was interesting, and I'll tell you, like, on the statistics of the Arctic Social, so I was looking at the analytics yesterday. There are less people on the forum right now and fair enough the pubs have opened we've got lovely weather and you know it's a great time to go meet people so yeah don't you shouldn't shouldn't be on there that much right now but what i the people are a lot on is actually the, the web graphics up and in particular people are looking for jobs and people want to see projects right now with the time of the year so the, i feel like that there is a sense of opportunity out there and i do feel like the industry the architecture industry has is come on a, a boom so there's like there's lots of jobs out there. I'm hearing the people getting jobs, and we're hiring at Ackroyd Lowry. Have you seen a similar trend at the moment in the last two or three months where things are looking more optimistic? Oh, I definitely think there's a lot more optimism now, and I and I think that I mean you're making me think of the kind of um, there's this whole process of grief <laughs> that you may be you know because we've gone through this whole process in the last year we started off with denial and then we had yeah. kind of resistance and and then you kind of get into exploration and now we're actually coming out the other yeah. end of that whole phase kind of thing and now we're going into right kind of this is that this is this is our time now that we can we've you know we've had this time to kind of reinvent ourselves and figure out kind of think about how do we want the mm. new us to be you know, what's ahead of us? What do we want to change? How can we make this better? How can we take what we want to take with us and, and, and you know, not leave some of this good stuff behind kind of thing? So it's, yeah. just, it's really a time when people are kind of embracing change now and doing something good with it and building on it and, and, and either changing career or, um, you know, stepping into something new or changing something about the environment or or just kind of just going, yeah, yes get out and restart and <laughs> so yeah yeah well it's it is an exciting time for that and i think that there's a lot of opportunity and and what i've noticed as well and i'm sure you've seen this as well so from before typically in my head an architectural practice you didn't work remote you just didn't you were in the office i'm sure you've i was there you've been there i'm not on about treated badly or anything like that you could be treated fantastically. What I'm on about, though, is the idea is that in an architecture practice, yeah. you are in. You know, you you have to be in. Many architecture practices would be like, whoa, 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 we do architecture, we need to be in. And what was interesting is like last year, that smashed that pretense in everyone, in, in a lot of business owners' heads that actually businesses can survive 
And I noticed a few leaders and a few of my clients, so directors, associate directors, and then I would ring them up and they would be like, Steve, I'm loving this because I don't have to travel to big uh, meetings for two hours and say something and travel back. I'm on Zoom. But at the moment, I think it's a balance of, so it's been great to be at home, but now people are pining for that interaction because I think you can totally get Zoom fatigue. I get it where I'm like, oh my gosh, another computer, really? So it's interesting of, in one sense, I think that the pandemic liberated the situation because on one hand, it really has opened the questions for flexible working, you know, and that's great for certain people in certain circumstances. If you're, you know, a single parent or, or anything like that, or when you've got requirements in your life, the fact that now you can work from home some days uh, and, and hours aren't so, aren't so fixed is fantastic. But at the other end of the scale, there's going to be a point now where I think things are going to normalize a bit. So do you have any thoughts on the direction um, that businesses are going to go, Karen? Or do you have any like observations or advice in terms of like leadership or structure, or if anyone's working in a practice, how they should go about this new setting and this new era that we're just going into? I think it's going to be a real hybrid now. And I'm really glad that this, um, the good part of this pandemic has been this this breaking open the whole taboo of, yeah, Yeah, because this is something that, especially women in architecture, were saying for ages, you know, we don't have to be in the office to get something done, you know, kind of thing. And and, and I'm just so glad we've kind yeah. of bust that whole thing open and, and, and said, yeah, we can. We can do it successfully from home. But we also now realise that we have this big need to collaborate and come together and, you know, work in the office in, in a different way, not just bums on seats, but actually being there to, to, to be as a team uh, and to innovate together. So, um, yeah. and I think people you know, the, the companies I know are just trying to work out how that's going to look at the moment. How many days a week do you want to be at home and when are you going to come in and how are we going to get certain people in on certain days and all a bit up in the air kind of thing. Um, I, th- I think they just, just need an attitude yeah. of experimentation. Yeah. You just need to think we don't need to come up with solution. We just need to be experimental and, and try and see what works and, and take our time and finding the good balance for yeah, I would. I I think you're right. What I would say is that I think the practices that will experiment, as you put it, you've got a real good chance of getting massive rewards to it. Because I do think that, as well as some very very talented architects, will be looking for a degree of flexibility. And so, a practice which is kind of open to these scenarios will, from my point of view, because of my background, is you know predominantly in the recruitment and hiring people, attracting people. But that level of flexibility is going to be extremely attractive. At the same time, you're right, though. You kind of you want to get the magic of like being in the office, kind of working together on something, but then, you know, being at home. So I think that's going to be the upcoming, the next chapter. And so what I was going to ask you as well, because uh, do you think in terms of your business before, because we're with consulting and career coaching, was a lot of it in person and has a lot of it in the last year been digital? Have you seen a change yourself in how coaching has been delivered to professionals and practices? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Or, well, unless I had a client from, from overseas, then all of my coaching was, was 
mainly face to face, and I w- and we were just meeting by phase all over London. Really? Kind of thing. It was mostly London based, and you know, any, anybody outside of London, it would be uh, on Skype. You know, because Zoom, Zoom wasn't there then. Right. Until, <laughs> it was just Skype kind of thing, um, and people yeah. really liked that face to face contact. But it was. You know, at the at the point of change, it was very easy to make the shift into Zoom. You know, I assume we, you know, I probably had a, yeah. a week or two of Skype, and then went, "Oh, what's this new software? Everyone's Zooming now. Let's get into Zoom." So I had to go on that yeah, huge Zooming. learning curve yeah. of suddenly, you, you know, trying to figure out how to how to use Zoom, which was great. Um, you know, because everybody could make mistakes. Isn't that great when you can learn something and you're really free to make mistakes? <laughs> and we're still, we're still going, you're on mute. Yeah, we're still making yeah. mistakes and we accept it. I love that as well. Um, so the shift. Yeah, sorry. it's, it's yeah. it. No, go ahead, go ahead. Please, so the shift continue. from face-to-face to online was very easy for my clients to make, I think. And now it's, I haven't, I mean, I haven't had, any requests yet? Or can we go face? You know, I'm dying to go face to face. Can we? I know that I'm kind of looking forward to going back face to face because I miss. I've been working at home for you know ten years or so, and I'm in my garden studio kind of thing, and I miss going into town. I miss going to yeah. cafes. I miss seeing London. I miss going. Here I am today. I'm in this part of London kind of thing. Well, this is the cafe I'm in or whatever, and taking photos of that kind of thing. I miss getting out there, um, and yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. And I think we witnessed there where I kind of interrupted you accidentally. That's one of the downsides of Zoom because, or like this, because you have that natural lag. And luckily we've all accommodated to it. So we know it's not rudeness. It's that, it's that lag. But the Zoomisms is, it is a bit strange. And I remember when I started two months ago working at Accra Larry, I make an effort to go into the office. And yeah, I had, it was a bit bizarre though, because I started getting acclimatized to being in a Zoom culture. It was amazing. But then that was the novelty. I'm like, I'm going into an office. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, what am I going to wear? Oh, you know, oh. and then I was like packing my bag. It was like, this, I was like, I'm not used to this because we got used to that Zoom world. And what's interesting is that I started doing the coaching. Mine's a little bit different. It's more folks on CV and portfolio and getting jobs. I mean, that's kind of like my background. And to me, it does seem tailor made. The Zoom, doesn't it? But at the same time, I still think that you miss certain nuances that you get in person. So I think like Zoom is amazing because like the way me and you plugged into this, it's not on Zoom, but it's a very similar thing to Zoom. It's amazing that we can get a conversation going really quickly, book it in the calendar, and that's awesome. But you're right, it doesn't quite replace being in person. And so I, when I'm hiring at Accra Larry now, we're looking for a strategic role. And the first thing that everyone assumes is amazing because you can meet each other. But when you're in person, we're real people oh. and it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, when it? I had, you know, when I get new clients, it would always be like our first meeting, our first kind of just conversation has to be in person. We meet in person. And then I'm like, if you want to go on Zoom mm. after that, you're cool. But at least we've met in person. We've got a good idea about each other. It's, it's yeah, and there's something different about it. Um, and you're right, when you're on Zoom, you, there's a whole yeah. different etiquette that we've had to deal with. Um, and Yeah. Have you been have on Clubhouse, Karen? It's strange. 
Have you been on Clubhouse? That's a totally I've new, res- new weird I've resisted that. I'm like, I'm like, how many do I have to get? <laughs> and now there's another one. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. I'm like, I can't the ones that I like yeah. at the moment. I think I think there's there's people like you who are like early, the, the early adopters. They're like, yeah, I'm in. I'll go for it. I'll go try. It. And there's people like me who lag behind. This is why this is why I shouldn't be in bin. Uh, this you, is why I'm no longer there. People like me are like, no, I'm a bit more lazy. No, than that. I'll let you figure out all the things and see whether it's worth it, and then I'll come. <laughs> Well, that's sweet of you to say, but I, I really am someone in the middle. So on one hand, I, I realize you've got to adapt certain technologies and it's good to be at the forefront. But at the same time, I'm like you sometimes. I'm just like, I resisted Clubhouse for ages and then I did it. And even now, though, I do think that it's time is kind of, it's dwindling because basically all these other big companies like Spotify and Facebook are copying it, right? So it had something special at the time. And I think it had the magic of meeting people in person and an air of exclusivity. And so exclusivity is a, is a bit of a bittersweet thing because on one hand, there's something exciting about it, but then there's also something incredibly pretentious about it. So, but now the platform has kind of opened up, which is much more inclusive, which in essence is amazing. Um, now it's not so, it hasn't got the magic. Can so you tell me though, because I don't know much about it. You're just listening to each other. Is that right? You're not seeing each other. You're just listening. So you're totally listening. So the one brilliant thing about listening is that you can be in your pajamas or whatever, right? Because no, it's it's got that sense of it. And the other thing about it being audio only is that where you'd enjoy it and you do well is that you're a listener. So it, it really because because you're not the video's gone it really gets the concentration going. And also then it puts a massive flow. And especially if you have a few people on the, the, um, the chair or the audience, so it's a, imagine it, it's a bit like a seminar. So you've done a few of these now, you know, there's an art form to like talking on a panel and moving the room around and trying not to interrupt each other and compliment each other and keeping the flow. So there's definitely an, an art form to it, but at the same time, yeah, it's, I think that, it, what's good is it, it is it, you've got the audio conversation, but I'm not convinced it's going to last. And I think that it was an amazing replacement for that human interaction. And now that we're we're going out of lockdown, then I mean the ultimate form of Clubhouse is actually going to your Reba Future Architects event where you're there. It's the same thing, you know. So I think it's it has served a purpose, but will it survive in this next wave? I don't know. And, you know, like with the architecture social, the community is still, the core members of the community are still there, but less people are on it right now. And that's fine because the, I see, I think in business, you have to evolve and you have to keep changing, which is where you were saying about the software. So you have to adapt. But at the same time, you know, as well from being in a heavy technology role before, you can't just change tech for the same reason. It's a tool, so it's got to facilitate a purpose. So there's like, I'm like you, I'm, there's a balance to me. I'm like, I'm happy to change or happy to do something if there's something there, but to, just to get on the next trend for the sake of the mm. next trend, it's probably not worth it. But what I was going to say is, it's always unfair that podcasts can be go one way. Uh, do you have any questions for, that you'd like to ask me? That would be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I do actually. I do have a question for you because you're Oof. doing the whole recruitment thing. I've I've always wondered because this is something that really irks me slightly. 
and you'll be answering this not yeah. really for me but for the listeners I guess is that when when you get yeah. in front of somebody who's been like in a company like you know um when you're being interviewed by someone who's been in the com- same company for like you know 10 20 years or something and then they look at your CV mm-hmm. and 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 they see that gap and they're like why did you you know what's that gap for kind of thing you know whether it's maternity leave or whatever it is and it's that real sense of I've been in the same company for 20 years and there's no gaps on my <laughs> you know and there's a real I, I feel like there's a real disconnect from those that type of people to the CVs that we should see today which should have lots of gaps and lots of changes and lots of opportunities and different things in it and and it and it shouldn't be this kind of you know perfect list of boom boom and, yeah. and, and I don't I just don't think they 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 get it and I'm just wondering yeah I would say I, yeah my my views on that I've seen the two sides of the coin to be really honest I've totally seen TVs where they have a gap, my first reaction would be, what is the gap? That's well, and the and then I can send that TV off to the employer, and the first reaction would be, what happened in that gap? Or the infamous one, I think, is like freelancing. So, as in, I so I've done freelancing, I do freelancing now, but also I think that, um, yeah, let me brief, let me say that maybe glass half empty look at freelancing would mean that you were doing nothing. Right, we know it's not, but I think that some employers can look at it that way. My advice is, if you've had a gap, embrace it, and you should hit it head on. So anything like this, if you've got any like, if you know if there's a gap, you've highlighted now, it's going to be brought up. So my advice is like, you embrace that gap. So a really good example is my friend who, exactly like you said, he worked at a company for six years and he went all the way from the bottom line to management. Okay, this wasn't architecture, but it's the same thing. It's a very close friend of mine. And so then he went traveling for two years on a motorcycle. He saved up like 20000 or whatever, and he just went on this motorcycle, and he came back for a job. And what I loved is that he put on his CV um, two years traveling the world on my motorcycle, learned a lot, experienced a lot, now ready to return. And because he kind of hit it head on, then no one was like, oh, what was this two-year gap? Because he said, I went, you know, motorcycling, and, and I can tell you what countries I've been, I can tell you the stories I've got, and it really debunked that stigma. And so my, my advice is that whenever you've got a gap, because I've had one or two before, and you could just say that you were rejigging where you're at, you know? I remember when I left, because you, you were familiar, I touched upon it briefly before we started this, I used to run, um, a recruitment company with someone else. And when we went our separate ways, I had to kind of reevaluate what was important to me. And and there, there was a little gap there. And so I'm happy to talk about that gap because it was really important at the time. And if I continued working, then I felt that like I would start keep going in the trajectory, uh, which um, now, which would have been, which, which would, wouldn't have been the right thing. So my, uh, the first thing that comes to my head is that whenever you've got a gap, embrace it. And you're right that if, if, for instance, you've worked somewhere for a long period of time, that's amazing. So I was at a McDonald's company for nearly four years. And, and what I learned is that I think the longer you are at a practice for a longer period of time, 
you do see stuff that you you had not seen before because when I was a part one, it's great because you do one year or somewhere, and part two, you do two years. But I think in like that third and fourth year, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot, Karen, with professionals, there's it's this interesting journey where you're in that company and you you make a, you can make a lot of differences within and you can you can do a lot of this stuff that you wouldn't have had exposure to in the first year or two. So I would say, based on your analogy there, of if you've worked at some place for a long time, you know, that's an amazing accomplishment. It shows that you're loyal, it's dedicated, it shows that, you know, you you've committed to the task and you've tried to make changes and then you're looking for an for a new role. And the other thing that if you've had a gap for instance, the other ones that I see a lot, which particularly affects mothers, so it's it's one good thing about this pandemic is that level of flexibility. Because I always find architecture really um, tricky for a mother's returning to work, and that could be an uphill battle of like, why did you take the time out, and why did you do this? And really, you shouldn't have to answer any questions like that because you've had um, family. It's like yeah. it's that's life, and I think that now that stuff like that is really important to embrace family. And that is a reason that you can say you've had time out. You're like, well, I've set up my family and I'm, I'm, you know, I've been involved in, in my child's life, which is really important to me and I'm ready to go to work. And, you know, I, I did a lot of experience before and I'm ready to pick it up and what it shouldn't about, be so hard. What about, I mean, these are kind of like, I think they're, all, they're quite good gaps to have, you know, they can be, you know, good yeah. experience. But what if the gap is, what if the gap was caused by a not so good experience? And what if that was, yeah. well, actually, well, I, I didn't get on with my last company. They fired me. Um, I went and <laughs> spoiled into depression Ooh. or whatever. And, and it's like, yeah, what do you say about that That gap? Is it okay these days, because we're talking more about mental health, is it okay to bring up something like, to be bold, as you say, and to, to own that gap? Because we can always say, look, this is what happened. I learned from it. But is is the yeah. intent? Is the impact? Is the impact? You if, know, coming off right, kind of thing. Good. Yeah, good question. I'll be really, I'll be really upfront. So I touched upon my old recruitment business. Well, you know, we left differences of opinion, and I think that there's a fine line where I, you know, I I learned a lot from that. Uh, but at the time, it was an incredibly stressful job. Um, it was incredibly stressful running the company and having a business partner and having a difference of opinion where you want to take the company and splitting up for what X, Y, Z reason. So I'm happy to talk about that now. At the same time, where you have to be, where this is a really tricky minefield is that I think that there's two things, because if you're still dwelling on these things, it, it can seem negative in an interview. So if I started disparaging my ex-business partner, a, I can't, you can't prove that one way or another. And it's like inserting you in the middle of an argument. So it's kind of, you can get into this tricky personal zone. So you wouldn't want to do that. My advice, and this is just from my opinion, is that what I talk about is that technically, while that business, business failed in the end, or we wound it up, is that I learned so much. You know, I learned how to run a business. I jumped in. We had everything going. Uh, it, you know, it, it made a profit. And I, I, I gained so much exposure. I run, I run a team. I hired people. I got the contract in place. You know, I made sure that we weren't sued. And you, and then well, I made some great relationships with companies. And we hired an office. And it was a completely wild ride, but it was amazing. And after that, I had to take stock. So I think like there's a subtle difference there. Of so I could even joke and laugh and say, 
um, Darren, that business was wound up. It was, it was, it was, it was a failure, but it was a fantastic failure. And I think those lessons I learned from it, I'm more than happy to talk about because they're amazing. But what I, I think is like, um, is not a good exercise is talking about, um, anything personal with someone else, because I have to be respectful of, there were two people there, two people's opinions. And also it's not good for anyone. So the worst thing I see that people can do in an interview is go, ah, yeah, I left my old um, practice. You know, the directors are just, ah, just, you know, they were so sexist and didn't do this and that to me. And, and, and cause that can really, it might even be true, but it's not the right time or place. Or it is kind of ask, it's kind of insert. It's like when someone, you know, that your friends goes like, isn't Jane's husband a da da da? And you're like, I don't know how I feel about this because I'm in the middle. Yeah. I think what I would do is draw upon those experiences, the positives and the negatives. But you know, you can be upfront that it failed for X, Y, Z, and that's what you learned from it. So that's kind of my answer in a roundabout way. So to summarize, I think you should draw in the positives to it, acknowledge it didn't work for X, Y, Z reasons, and and what you've learned from it in the future. But what I wouldn't do is um, make specific or accusations against people or business that you can't back up. So if you can't back it up, don't do it. And even if you could back it up, it, it can put a negative thing on the interview, whereas the interview really is about you and them. It's about how you can make a difference in the interviewer's company and you can solve their problems based upon your experience. And therefore, failing in my opinion is can be amazing lessons and so because of that experience i had before it takes a lot to shake me up now you know you can if you send me a legal letter i uh, i'm not scared anymore because so i'll be like okay why and okay let's tackle this on whereas before i'd be like oh my gosh what and then because of that business acumen that i've learned it's like well you know, I've seen loads of these. I've, you know, I've seen all this stuff and let's just go through it together and let's work out the problem. So I don't know, roundabout answer, but was that helpful? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think there's, um, I think if I want to speak to everybody out there who's listening kind of thing, I think the good thing to know about this is that when you work with, with a coach, you can role play all this. And you can practice right. those conversations. And, yeah. and that's really important, figuring out what you're going to say and doing that five times over because it's never going to be, you know, um, and getting really comfortable with being bold and, and being focusing on those positives that you got out of it. Because I think every, you know, when I look at all the, all the dips in my career, you know, I went, you know, they could be really low, but the highs that came after it, the learning that came after it, can be tremendous yeah. if you take that time to kind of reflect on what happened and yeah stuff. Amazing. But, um, well, I think I think we cover a lot here, and I'm conscious of we've got some exciting times ahead. Now that hopefully things are easing up. So before we find out where people can contact you, Karen, what are you what are you what are going to be up to for the next few weeks and months? Do you have any exciting um, ideas or anything that you'd like to do? That we can keep an eye on? Well, I'm kind of, you know, now that I've kind of cleared the last six months of kind of uh, leadership conferences, I've still got a few more up my sleeve, but um, 
I'm kind of thinking, what's my next project going to be? You know, what's it? What's it? Yeah. And I'm not going to say what it is, but I'll put this out there. I'm mm. going to be looking to talk to architects who are really organized, who think they're really super organized. I want to, I want to talk. I'm going to need to talk to you and, and kind of, yeah. Amazing. Tips and tricks. And, 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 and at the end of it, that might come out of, yeah, I really want to do something solid with, this kind of thing but i'm not gonna say, <laughs> i don't know if that sounds so vague but it's kind of i'm just i'm just forming in my brain yeah you i kind of yeah yeah it's not i'm gonna yeah, have, I'm gonna have yeah, a day just, where i kind of brainstorm and kind of go you know is, is this worth doing i need to interview some people i need to interview some architects and ask them is this worth me doing for you because at the end of the result it's going to produce something for the architects to be better at their work so um, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, but, I think I think if you can bend the architect rule for one second, you know who's really good at this stuff. And I know you know Sana the Bassam from the with Scale Blog. Holy moly, that um, Sana is a fantastic organized individual. Maybe maybe yes. maybe you should drop drop yeah. Sana a message on your project. It's a productivity queen of architecture, I reckon. Yeah, honestly, exactly. it's impressive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, I love that teaser. So, for any organized architects out there, drop Karen a message. And and for anyone else that wants to learn more about what um, you do, how can someone get in touch with you and find out about Sleeping Giant? Uh, well, I think uh, you can uh, always drop me a line. So, that's Karen at sleepinggiant consulting.com. You can look me up on LinkedIn because I'm there. I'm there a lot. There, I'm there daily. Yeah. So you can always just drop me a message there. I'm on Instagram, which I kind of like because I like taking photos, really. Oh, cool. And I just like taking photos. Um, and that's sleeping giant underscore Karen. And you might see me on Twitter, but don't 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 go. I'm not a Twitter. I'm not a Twitter person. No. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it either. It's I can find it. It can it and it can veer on negativity a lot as well, can't it? You know, I find well, when I do go in there, it's to complain about. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. It, it is really good with. I have a landlord and there was a massive leak and then I couldn't get anywhere. And the moment I took a picture and put it on Twitter, it was fixed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, so if anyone wants to find out, uh, wants to get in contact with you, they can do that. And uh, if they want to see who me and you are complaining about, it will be on Twitter, but probably don't worry. Don't worry. It'll just be one or two things. I'm not going to read it. I may. <laughs> yeah. Look, amazing. Thank you so much. Karen. And I really admire what you've done and, and what I would say as well. While I do a little bit of CV and portfolio coaching, I aspire to what you've done. And um, I've always thought it was great. And so as we touched upon just before recording this, when my ex-colleague showed me the Sleeping Giant website before and said, you need to check out uh, Karen. It's going to be great. And I was like, oh, Sleeping Giant looks interesting. All that time. It's amazing to see all the stuff you're up to. And well done on your latest Reba seminars. I can't wait to see your uh your organized uh project um it won't be me because i'm the most disorganized person in the world but maybe i'll get a few tips from it thank you so much karen and well, if you stay you very much for having me on i really in, enjoy i feel like we could keep going like having this conversation all afternoon it could just keep you know going and going yeah um, yeah well we can do a live stream sometime um, on your project project maybe the organized and i'll get my pen and paper ready but stay on the line i am going to end the podcast now thank you everyone for listening i forget we've got the video here as well so i really appreciate that 
and um, have a fantastic day wherever you are. Thank you.